ஜலிஸ்மி So in the last class we were studying the 28th sutra of the 4th chapter of patanjali yoga sutra as we have mentioned this chapter will end on the 33rd sutra so it's just a few more sutras remaining most probably this class or the next class we are going to conclude the study of the patanjali yoga sutra for the time being and most probably we will start after the navaratri celebration where we one or two weeks the gap will be there on uh, this uh, for our regular classes and after the navaratri after the durga puja we will start with the mundaka upanishad that's what uh, we have planned so we will notify it to all so now today let us start with the sutra which we have taken up uh, in the last class itself the 28th sutra of the fourth chapter what it speaks prasamkhyane api அகூசிதசியாதேர்மேகசமாதிசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹியாசம்ஹிய
So when one becomes disinterested, even in prasamkhyana, that is omniscience, prasamkhyane api akusidasya, then what happens? He attains unceasing discriminative knowledge. Sarvatha, there is no cessation, constantly sarvatha, viveka khyate, that there is an unceasing discriminative knowledge, which in turn results in the dharma meka samadhi. So, sarvatha viveka khyate, dharma meka samadhi. So, this, this sequence, first, because of the prasamkhyana, yeah, what will happen? You will develop this interest in prasankhyana because of, because of viveka khyate as the first. And then from that, what will ensue? Dharma, megha, samadhi. So we will try to understand these words. So prasamkhyana. First, let us try to understand when that omniscience is possible. Through the spiritual evolution, a spiritual aspirant reaches a state where he is almost omniscient. Omniscience, now you may say, how uh, does he know everything? Yes, in details he knows, most probably he knows, he knows very little. But in particular, in essence, he knows everything. To give an example, that suppose all are deluding, a rope is lying in the twilight, there are some 10 people standing nearby. They all are getting deluded with the idea that it is a snake. As long as you are thinking it is a snake, all other knowledge comes. What's that? Whether it is venomous or it is just a water snake. How long it is the snake? And uh, uh, what 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 is this? Uh, what are the what is the color of it? What type of snake it is? Means uh, what is the species? Particular species of that snake? All those question comes when I am in that delusion. I may be interested in all those knowledge. What's the snake? What's its color? What's the type of its poison? All those knowledge. Uh, the question of all those knowledge comes as long as I am deluding. But the one who is not deluded, who sees the rope as a rope, will for him all those questions have any meaning? Has no meaning. But he knows the knowledge properly. He sees the rope as rope. As a result, what has happened? Interest in knowing the nature of the snake doesn't arise at all. So now you will understand what omniscience means. He is not that why uh, that if you can uh, just if you ask that Ramakrishna you say was a realized soul or any other spiritually illumined soul, does he know that did he knew about all the modern developments of science? So here we are committing the basic mistake. The one who sees has seen that it is the self who is being projected as the universe. When you know it's a projection. How can there be an interest in a thing, interest in a thing which is a mere projection? In essence, it is not there. So the question of being interested about the details doesn't lie there. So he knows it for certain that this is a mere projection. So all the panorama which I see. So now you will understand the idea of omniscience. That when you go to that realization once. So nothing as such can interest you because you have known the thing in essence that everything which I see, all the panorama, the spectrum is a mere projection of the conscious principle. So once you have attained that type of omniscience, then what happens? How that omniscience comes? When you get that unceasing viveka khyate, then only that type of omniscience arises. From that, what happens? The para vairagya, interest in the projection starts falling off. And from that ensues the dharma megha samadhi. So what's the dharma megha samadhi? As we told that now in our present life, in the present situation, dharma means what? The do's and don'ts. That in, a, in every situation of life, there is something called conscience behind acting, 
is acting behind me in my psyche i have that conscience which says me that this is the thing you should do this is the thing you shouldn't do and that's what scriptures also speak of so now we are always puzzled with the do's and don'ts and sometimes we find we are in the gray zone we don't know what to do and what not to do but a man of realization for him what happens as he has seen the panorama as a projection prapancha as a projection any interest interest which is linked to our selfish needs that has fallen off once you know the mirage as the mirage it cannot draw you drag you just towards it even to quench your thirst you know it's not possible you can never be dragged so once you know it is a projection the question of going towards the desires doesn't come so the normal uh, in our normal plane of existence plane of existence the do's and don'ts come only when we are already being deluded because of the ignorance because of agyana the delusion is already working and then all the do's and don'ts have their role to play in our life the for one who has realized the do's and don'ts are no more important the goodness becomes something spontaneous because all the attachments has fallen off he doesn't have to plan for us why those do's and don'ts are so important i find that our instincts our desires are trying to draw us in one direction which we know is not good as per the collective welfare is concerned that's the constant find that my desires is in contradicting the collective welfare and then i have to restrict my myself from my desires isn't it so the question of will power comes when i know that my instincts my impulses is drawing me in such a direction which in we won't entail collective good, goodness which won't entail collective welfare it to the contrary it may harm the collective welfare so that is the criteria of good and bad but the for person for whom all those drags have vanished has fallen off because he knows the truth so there is no question of being dragged by the impulses so his life becomes just like a small child there is no question for a small child the child who is innocent of doing anything wrong it's just an innocent child constantly playing around is in no way bothered about the good and bad all those criteria which we uh, label uh, which we use as a label for them it, it has no meaning is just goodness is something spontaneous because there is no attachment no desires so then what happens this virtue becomes something which is superfluous just the way a uh, the the sky laden with cloud heavy cloud at last finds expression as a downpour so virtue as if downpours so that's why the word dharma megha has been used so when you get established in the viveka khyate that gives you that omniscience what's the omniscience that everything is a projection it's the moment the conscious principle gets identified with the psychophysical existence all the questions of raga dvesha vinivesha arises i have gone beyond that so they has fallen off spontaneously they don't drag me so the question of measuring my step in each and every turning point of my life doesn't arise i just move on with my life in a very playful mood and i know for for very certain nothing goes against the so called dictums of the scriptures because the drags are not there and that what is is entailed that is what which entails in the dharma megha samadhi and when that happens what what it speaks of it speaks of the falling of all the desires your in your motivation your inclination to get more and more identified with the absolute with your real nature becomes more and more intense so that's the thing which speaks of dharma mega samadhi 
I will just read out a portion from Swami Vivekananda's letter, which will give you an idea that what this Dharma Megha means. Now, very interesting in the life of Swami Vivekananda, he visited the Kshir Bhavani temple in Kashmir. So that is in a very that is very the, the, the it's a mother goddess, which is very very vibrant there. You can feel the spiritual vibration there. But the shrine has been destroyed many, many times because the infidels came the, in the form of this, this, the Muslim invasion. Because of the Muslim invasion, they came and attacked that shrine again and again. And the shrine is in a very dilapidated condition, but the Devi is very vibrant there. So when Swami Vivekananda visited Sri Bhavani temple in uh, 1900, just two years before he passed away uh, in the last phase of his life, he was overwhelmed with emotion. He told mother, if I was there, even with my heart's blood, I would have protected your temple. I wouldn't have allowed it to be demolished. And then he heard the voice of the mother saying, is it me who protects you or it is you who protect me? Is it, is it me who protects you or is it you who protect me? And in a flash, Swamiji heard that and it changed his total orientation of life. He started thinking that all this, my endeavor to establish religion and all, is of no, actually has no meaning. If the mother wants, she can build a seven-story shrine here, temple here now. It's all her wish. How can I impose my will here? So a sense of wonderful resignation came and we find for the final departure, he is getting ready. There are many indications, many questions that, that Swamiji actually died of so many diseases, where the question of Ichamrittu comes. We will try to understand what Ichamrittu is. Before that, let's see that the Swamiji had an indication of his end, this life's end means the, this physical, in the life in this physical domain is going to be over within just in a short time. He had an inkling. I will read a portion of the letter which will speak of his uh, this, uh, this idea that his date is very near uh, and as well as the tremendous uh, detachment which has already developed. He no more interested in the work. He's just waiting for the final deliverance. That's from the premonition. That's the thing which he is indicating in this letter. So I will read the letter and we will understand that what Dharma Megha Samadhi is from the words of Swami Vivekananda. So it's a letter uh, written by Swami Vivekananda to one of his disciples. Josephine MacLeod on 18th April, 1900. I will read a portion of it. My whole soul is absorbed in mother. Her works she knows. Her works she knows. I have bundled my things and am waiting for the great deliverer. Shiva, O oh Shiva, carry my boat to the other shore. After all, Joe, Josephine MacLeod, uh, that's, that's how Swamiji used to call her, Joe. After all, Joe, I am only the boy who used to listen with rapt attention to the wonderful words of Ramakrishna under the banyan at Dakshineshwar. That is my true nature. Works and activities, doing good and so forth are all superstition. Now I again hear his voice, the same old voice, thrilling my soul. Bonds are breaking, love dying, work becoming tasteless. The glamour is off life. Now only the voice of master calling. I come, Lord, I come. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow thou me. I come, my beloved. I come. Yes, I come. Nirvana is before me. I feel it at times, the same infinite ocean of peace without a ripple, a breath. I am glad 
I was born. Glad I suffered. Glad to enter peace. I leave none bound. I take no bonds. Such a beautiful sentence. I leave none bound. I take no bonds. Totally detached. The old man is gone. Gone forever. Never to come back again. The sweetest moments of my life have been when I was drifting. That's what he's indicating. The days when he was under the feet of Ramakrishna. From the family life, gradually drifting to this sannyasa. So that's what he's indicating. The sweetest moments of my life have been when I was drifting. I am drifting again. I come, mother, I come in thy warm bosom, floating wheresoever thou takest me, in the voiceless, in the strange, in the wonderland. I am a spectator, no more an actor. It's wonderful. Each and every line is a mantra. We, we speak of Vedic, that Vedas, the lines are mantra. The Swami Vivekananda's complete works you go through. The lines are so powerful. Uh, the Roma Rola, when he was uh, writing the biography of Swami Vivekananda, much later, Swami Vivekananda passed away in, uh, in, some, in the mid of 19, in some 1950s or 60s, uh, 1950s most probably that he was writing the biography of Swami Vivekananda. He's a French Nobel laureate. He wrote the biography of Swami Vivekananda. And in the epilogue, almost in the end, he has mentioned that now, even now, I cannot touch a single word of Swami Vivekananda without getting a horripilation. The hair as if stand. I don't know what happened to those peoples who were in his presence listening to his words. Now I just read the printed words. They give me that type of sensation, that horripilation. So this, this each and every word you find so coming from his realization. So wonderful words. So that I was drifting. So in the technical language, from Sarvarthatha to Ekagrata, that was the first drift. The next drift is from Ekartha, this Ekagrata to the Nirodha state, the thoughtless state. So these are the two states of drift which he's mentioning. You can just, the realization can just tally with the scriptures. It is the second drift which speaks of this Dharma Megha, which speaks of even going beyond Prasamkhyana. So that's the thing which he's mentioning. I come, mother, I come in thy warm bosom, floating wheresoever. Thou takest me in the voiceless, in the strange, in the wonderland. I am a spectator, no more an actor. The world is but not beautiful, nor ugly, but as sensations without exciting any emotion. Some other place Swamiji says, just when you are about to fall asleep, we have experienced that we, uh, we are about to fall asleep. The mind gets full of pictures. With those pictures, we are neither emotionally attached. There is no fear, no aversion, no attachment. No emotions are working. Just they pass in front of the mind. Gradually, it takes you to that slumber. They all vanish. So Swamiji is actually giving the example of that state almost. That for realized soul also. That it comes just like a vision with no emotional attachment. The world is but not beautiful, nor ugly, but as sensations without exciting any emotion. Oh, the blessedness of it. Everything is good and beautiful, for things are all losing relative proportions to me. My body among the first. Om Tatsat. Om that existence. So just see each and every word. When it comes from the spontaneity of your realization, it becomes so powerful. Not a single word he's speaking, which you can just keep for doing some analysis. That, oh, this line is not perfect. It is not academically correct. There's no scope for it. It is coming directly from the realization. So each and every word you will find is so perfect. And that's what actually speaks of realization. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a very nice example. With all our academic knowledge, we are very shallow. Sri Ramakrishna used to say sometimes a village shallow ponds, 
the water looks very clean, transparent. You just have to go and with a stick, stir the water a little and you will find the mud, the bubbles and everything is coming up and making the water turgid in no moment. But if it is a huge reservoir, that's real depth is there. There the transparent water, nothing can stir it. Sri Ramakrishna is saying the so-called academic knowledge is just like that shallow pond. It may appear to be very clean. You have to just stir it. You'll find all sorts of turgidity is coming up. So he says that with all our academic knowledge, that's what happened. When you go on questioning, cross-questioning, and allow him to go on speaking, deliberating his lecture, even big scientists, their discoveries, we find is being negated by some further discoveries. There is no as such a basis on which we can say it is true. That's what the academic knowledge is, all the conceptual knowledge is. But this type of spiritual knowledge you find is coming from the depth of realization. And these words are so powerful, so strong, and so illuminating. And it makes the words of the scripture very clear. So now after going through these words of Swamiji, you will understand that what that Dharma Megha Samadhi is, which comes from that Paravairagya, that Swamiji, that who had that all this knowledge, this, this did this tremendous work, he is saying all this is falling off, nothing. In the last days, we found that Swami Vivekananda, after this founding the Belurmat, in his conversation, it, it became almost natural. He will be talking with the other brother disciples. He will never say, my Belurmat. It is Toder Belurmat. It is yours. That I have already taken my mind away from it. There's a lot of indications are there. Toder Mat. What, what the things which he's saying are wonderful. That I have to, I have to leave this body. Why? The small uh, saplings can never grow under the shade of a huge tree. The huge tree must go. Tremendous dispassion. So that's the idea of that akusi dasya, that which we spoke of uh, in the words of the sutra. Prasankhyanayapi, with all the knowledge, omniscience. He was omniscience, he was prophetic. You know, when he was going through the European tour, Swami Vivekananda, he was so specific in his prophetic vision. He saw that the uh, Europe is going to go through some tremendous war. He told that where you see prosperity, he, was, he told his American uh, European disciples, where you see prosperity, I see destruction. I see the entire Europe is sitting on the tip of a volcano to burst out any time. And not only that, he was, his, observance, his observations were so unbiased as he had nothing to do with the likes and dislikes of the normal people. What he saw, the knowledge flashed immediately because all the biases, the biases were not there. If the biases are not there, you get the knowledge immediately. Just that example of the chess player, which we gave in the previous class. So Ramakrishna's example, very nice example. Two persons are playing chess. The third one is observing. And the one who is observing, he's constantly saying the correct move. The other twos are constantly faltering in their steps. How come he's saying the correct move? Because he has nothing to do with the winning or losing. He has nothing to, uh, he has no expectations, no fear. No expectations of winning, no fear of losing. So mind is free. So when he is focused to the game, he can, his mind as is free from all the so-called apprehensions, from fears, from expectations, he's totally focused on the game and he can say the correct move. So that speaks of the omniscience. When Swami Vivekananda was in the last phase, was going through the Eastern Europe, he was in Austria. He saw that a, quite a big portion of Austria was dominated by the German speaking people. And he found in the entire Europe already the tendency has developed to have their boundaries as per the language. That as we are Germans, we should belong to Germany. You will be very much interested. Swami Vivekananda specifically told 
that the present king of Austria is quite strong, powerful. But the moment he dies, Germany will try to annex the portion of Austria, which is German speaking. Russia will oppose it, oppose it. And there's a chance of a very uh, devastating war. And if you read the history, you will find that he's almost foretelling the things which are going to happen during the First World War. And he told that it is sitting in the volcano, the way the things were going on. So that's that will speak of this prasam khyana, that almost omniscient. It's not something supernatural. Even for us, when the biases fall off, whatever you see, the knowledge flashes as the biases are not working. For the European devote, his devotees who were European, for them, the patriotism was the bias. They couldn't see the thing clearly. But Swamiji can see the thing. Know this, he... That's how the history revealed itself. From the history he could learn and the future got revealed. As Swamiji himself used to say that in the present, the future is hidden. If you know to see the present without any bias, you can know the future. And that's what uh, speaks of the Prasam Khyana. And just see the passage which we read, even that his interest in that type of omniscience has fallen off. He wants to be that boy who is to sit in the feet of Ramakrishna. Just relate through the devotion. Nothing interests him. And then that's the state when this dharma megha samadhi ensues. You become a storehouse of virtue. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that an adept dancer's step never falls out of rhythm. It's always in rhythm. So a soul, a person who is almost established in this discriminative knowledge, is established in discriminative knowledge, he's like that adept dancer. There is no question of false step. It is always in rhythm. So that's the thing which we discussed in the 28th Sutra. The 29th Sutra speaks that after that what ensues? Tata. When you get established in this Dharma Megha Samadhi, when you get total detachment from prasamkhyana, from omniscience. Then what happens? Tata klesha karma nivritti. From that comes cessation of afflictions and work. Afflictions are the five afflictions. Avidya, asmita, raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. So how the afflictions fall off? How the work falls off? So when you are established in dharma mega samadhi, what happens? In your mind, it is not that you have to consciously contemplate on the idea that you are the soul, you are the Atman, you are the conscious principle. It just goes on. Spontaneously it goes on like a flow. When it goes on, the first thing which happens is the obliteration of Asmita, the ego. If you are constantly aware of the fact that you are the conscious principle, your identification with this psychophysical existence is bound to obliterate. And once this asmita gets obliterated, what happens? The raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. These three are linked with asmita. The moment I get identified with this psychophysical existence, the question of raga, attachment to the things which is favorable for its existence, which is pleasurable for its existence comes. For the existence of this psychophysical existence. The things which are pleasurable, which are favorable, I get attached to them, which are not pleasurable, which are not flavorable to this limited existence. I develop dvesha, I develop hatred, I run away from the dangers, I try to cling to life because I, I identify myself with the psychophysical existence. So the clinging to life comes because I know with death, I lose my psychophysical existence. So raga, dvesha, abhinivesha is the product of aspita, of ego. The moment the ego falls off, the clashes in the form of raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, attachment, hatred, and clinging to life. They obliterate, they start falling off. And you know that what is the result of karma phala? It is a raga, dvesha, abhinivesha. Any action which I am motivated to do because of these afflictions, 
all the klishtavrittis. Klishtavrittis means any thought wave in your mind which is linked with either attachment, hatred, or clinging to life is klishtavritti. When I see a delicacy, there's a vritti in my mind. I see that delicacy and it gets linked with that emotive faculty. What? That liking. Oh, I have to get it. So these are the vrittis which results in karma phala. There are so many vrittis which are aklishta. I see the wall. It neither attracts me, I am neither aversive to it. This type of vrittis, knowledge, is not harmful. They won't yield any karma phala. Only those vrittis which gets linked with raga, dvesha, abhinivesha, that results in karma phala. So once you get rid of asmita, you get rid of raga, dvesha, vinivesha. So that that's your vrittis become aklishta. And result, as a result, what happened? They won't yield karma phala. So that's why this mentioned that once you get established in that viveka khyati, klesha karma nivritti is bound to happen. So from the cessation, from the cessation of uh, this omniscience, the omniscience also is speaks of the power which is related to the psychophysical existence. When that has, when the cessation of that, from that what happens? The cessation of the afflictions of this Raga Dvesha Avinusha, these are the afflictions. They start obliterating and the karma phala, they also start obliterating because they are all linked. Asmita is linked with Raga Dvesha Avinusha, Raga Dvesha Avinusha is linked with the karma phala. So they start obliterating. The karma which you will do will no more yield result because any desire or hatred is not working behind it. You are just working because of the past impulse. To give a common example, when the fan is revolving, I switch off the fan. It still continues to revolve because of its past momentum. And it stops ultimately after revolving for some time because of the past momentum, it stops. So that's what, when once you get established in the Viveka Khyati, the detachment has happened. You have switched off the force behind the action. The motivation behind the action has fallen off. But the action still continues for some time. But they won't yield any result. They won't result in the further action. As the momentum is spent up, the karma will be totally expended, not to bind you anymore. So that's the idea, karma, klesha karma nivritti. The 30th sutra, what it speaks? Tada sarva avarana mala apatesya apatasya jnanasya anantyat geyam alpam. Tada sarva avarana mala apatasya. So this knowledge, how it helps? All the covering and impurities. Avarana, mala. Avarana is the covering. Mala is the impurities. Apatasya means false of, is cleansed. All the covering, all the impurities are cleansed from your mind once the Klesha Karma Nivritti happens. And then what happens? Jnanas, Jnanasya Anantyat Geyam Alpam. The, the knowables that becomes something insignificant, insignificant, small. And the knowledge, this what it becomes in what the knowledge, this bereft, this bereft of impurities, bereft of the covering, that becomes infinite. So these sutras sometimes do appear to be a bit abstruse, but it is speaking something very simple. That when the realization happens because of Viveka Khyati, that knowledge which entails from that realization becomes infinite. And the things which are the known, the things which are objects of knowledge, they become very small. What is speaking of? That all the knowledge, after all, that the example which, with which we started today, when you are deluding the rope to be the snake, then that snake is of course a matter of importance to you. What's its color, whether it is venomous or not, all those knowledge are important to you. Jnana. But the moment, the, the gaya is very important, but the moment the ignorance falls off, 
that becomes something insignificant. You know, it's oh, it was a projection. The snake is actually not there. And that knowledge becomes infinite. That knowledge has cleansed off your mind. Nothing is there to obscure your vision. And so the knowledge has become infinite. And the known has become something infinitely small that doesn't interest you anymore. They're insignificant. So till we see the snake in a rope, the characteristics of the snake has meaning to us. What's the length of the snake? What's its color? Whether it's venomous? These all are all obvious questions. But once we understand that it's a mere projection, the rope alone is real, then all those analysis has no meaning. So that's what is being indicated in this sutra. Now we will give some example to still clarify the idea. You know, once a, a devotee of Ram, Ramakrishna, Swami Sharadananda's brother, he was also having spiritual inclination. He didn't become monk, but he also used to visit Dakshineshwar. So he was a medical student. After he passed his medical exams, uh, as for his brilliant result, he got some uh, a gift from the college, from the medical college. It was a microscope. So in those days, uh, the microscope was something, a matter of great curiosity. The things which are not visible with the naked eye, you can see through it. So, so Sharat Maharaj brother, Sharadananda's brother, uh, he got that as a gift from the college, as a prize from the college. And now it was mentioned to Sri Ramakrishna. And all the disciples uh, told that, why not you bring that microscope one day uh, so that Sri Ramakrishna can see that how marvelously it works. So it was brought to Dakshineshwar. All the devotees were so interested to see through the microscope, the slides, the thing, nothing is visible. And suddenly they see the magnified, all those microbes. And when Ramakrishna was asked to just peep through it, he showed no interest almost. And when all were insisting, then the very interesting thing he told, the mind which I have given to the Brahman, how can I give it to this small microbe, which is, uh, I have to see through this microscope. This has no meaning. All these details have no meaning. They're after all the projection. The thing which is being projected, I have the knowledge of that. So the gayam, the thing which is to be known, that has, the, the knowledge become, has become infinite. The thing which has to be known is something small. There's so many other examples. Then Sri Ramakrishna visited the zoo for the first time. Some devotees took him to the zoo. And the first animal Sri Ramakrishna saw was the lion. The moment he saw the lion, he went into Samadhi. It was a very deep Samadhi. His body became almost stiff. Question of walking through the entire zoo never arose. So they had to take, bring uh, Ramakrishna back to Dakshineshwar. So all other devotees, uh, they got very much a uh, bit, uh, you know, that um, you can say to say that they got annoyed to a certain extent that because of Ramakrishna Samadhi, they couldn't see the entire zoo. And they told that it is so difficult to take you to say, any place. Uh, so all our enthusiasm, as, as you, you as if pour water in your enthusiasm, they had to come back, they couldn't visit the zoo. And then Ramakrishna, what he told is interesting, that seeing the lion, Immediately he got the, uh, that the idea came to his mind that lion is the carrier of mother Durga. So lion, Durga, Durga is the one who is the expression of that, what is the infinite conscious principle, the non-dual conscious principle. He's appearing as the Shakti, as the Durga. So this, that's how this, the lion, this lion, Durga, Brahman, and he's getting merged in it. So now there's no question of going through the zoo and seeing other things. The details have no meaning to him. It has merged him with the absolute. So this jnanam becomes infinite. Gayam is become something uh, insignificant. And that's we find even in the life of Ramakrishna in the last days, when he was suffering from cancer, anyone is to ask him about the health. health. His immediate reply was, Shorir tar dukkho jane, montumi ananda thako. The mind is dwelling in his conscious, this infinite conscious principle. The body is just observing. It has no meaning for him. Just the way we observe something uh, 
apart from me, his, all, his own body becomes something as if apart from himself, his real self. It is just something being observed, not to be felt. Till the body knows its suffering. Oh mind, you dwell in bliss, the bliss of the absolute. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Now you will understand what is being indicated here. When once all the, your mind becomes clear from all the delusions, from the ignorance, tada sarva avarana mala, all the coverings, all the impurities have been cleansed off, then the knowledge becomes infinite and the knowable becomes something insignificant. So that's what is being indicated. So when you are about to be identified with your self, so that the final detachment from the Prakriti happens. So these are the indications which is being mentioned here as, the, as we are almost proceeding to the last few more sutras. The 30th sutra speaks of that. The gayam becomes, the known becomes something, the knowable becomes small and the knowledge of yourself becomes something infinite. And then the 31st sutra, what it is speaking of? Tata kritarthanam Parinama krama samapti gunana krita artha. These words are so significant. Artha means purpose. Krita means fulfillment. The one for whom the, all the purpose has been fulfilled. For in our life with all our secular desires, purpose is never fulfilled. We think today, let me become uh, a doctor, an engineer, and then I will lead a very relaxed life. And then we find the new desires are coming constantly. There's no end to these desires, worldly desires. But once you realize your soul, you let go and choose. For the first time, you know what's the enjoyment of retirement. You're really retired. There's no more purpose. Krita artha, tata, krita arthana, the one who through the Viveka Khyati has reached the state of Paravairagya. For him, Parinama Krama Samapti Gunana, the three gunas, they're constantly are, what you say that, mutating. Sattva Rajas Tamas is not something fixed. The Tamas gets mutated to Sattva, Sattva gets mutated into Rajas. Constantly it is happening. The sequential mutation of the gunas ends one, ends once for all. They come to an end. Parinama krama gunanam samapti. This parinama krama, this mutation, this change, sequence of mutation of the gunas, gunanam, samapti ends. What it is actually speaking of? Sometimes we don't understand what, what these three gunas actually mean. Because this is the language of thousands of years back. We say they mean sattva rajatama. What actually sattva rajatama means? Tama means darkness. Is it the physical darkness which we see? No. It's a very, it has a very interesting idea that what the tamas means, the, when a child is born, gradually he gets more and more uh, knowledgeable. He gets more, he, he gets more and more, he gains more and more knowledge from where that knowledge comes. It comes through comparison. If the mind was blank, knowledge was never possible. The mind is the storehouse of knowledge, it's already there. The, just to say, give an example, when I see the red flower, it is the mind which is projecting that red color. Uh, the light at such has no color. That red, uh, the so-called red color is just a particular wavelength of light which strikes your eyeballs and there it ends. It gets converted into optical nervous current reaching your color perception center. It is not perceived there. The color is thrown out. So where the color was, as long as you didn't see the flower, it was there dormant in your mind as if in darkness. The external flower was just a mere suggestion to evoke the thing which was in the dark. So now you will understand what tamas is. All those concepts, redness, Good smell, bad smell, various colors. There's skin. Say some says that's hot. This is cold. All these are the like concepts are already there hidden in my mind. 
the external per so called uh, this five sense perceptions are actually suggestions they are not the real perceptions they are the suggestions which bring forth all those concepts which are dormant to illumination so what actually we need not go to the details you will now have to understand all those concepts which are dormant in your mind innumerable such concepts are there they are all in tamas state of tamas so this tanmatras or tamas the word tanmatra doesn't mean subatomic particle tatmatra that all our perceptions how it happens when i see the red flower the redness is perceived in one center of the brain the shape in some different center all this conglomerate to become panchabhuta to give you the sensation of flower so how this flower sensation is happening all the piecemeal perceptions are conglomerating to give you the knowledge of the flower so all this piecemeal perceptions as long as it is lying dormant they are all tamas the question of conglomeration comes only after they are getting illumined so tamas tanmatras are all in the state of tamas now when i see the flower the stimuli what it is doing the tamas it is converting the tamas into illumination sattva is illumination so the moment i see the red flower i get the knowledge of the red flower from so the tamas is getting converted into sattva as long as that knowledge doesn't result in action it is pure sattva why we say meditation is sattva you are illuminating your mind without doing any action when i see the red flower and feel like going and plucking it sattva is getting converted into action rajas so that's why it is rajas mixed with sattva as simple as that but even in meditation it, it though i am visualizing something i am trying to have a vivid visualization of something i am imagining something i am contemplating on some ideas it speaks of illumination those ideas were hidden in my mind through meditation i am illuminating them but i am not being prompted to act on that so that's why they are pure sattva but in our day to day life what happens the tamas that the donut is very is a delicacy for me it was hidden that idea was hidden in my mind i see the donut it gets illumined all those ideas they get illumined flashes out all those ideas which were there in my mind they come up that external donut was a suggestion and i am drawn towards it i i'm just i will just go there to have a donut with a cup of coffee so this this results in action rajas so now you will understand the sequencing of three gunas how it happens because of our desires all the desires results in the sequencing parinama mutation of the three gunas so this mutation of the three gunas in the modern language you can say is nothing but stimuli response conditioning so this we are bound by the stimuli response as long as we are identified with our ego the moment the ego has fallen off because of your realization that you are the self you are not the body mind complex the all the stimuli response conditionings falls off nothing can draw you once you know the mirage as the mirage it cannot draw you you cannot for quenching your thirst you cannot be dragged by it anymore so the stimuli response condition has fallen off and that speaks of parinama krama gunanam samapti it ends as simple as that that we can go beyond the stimuli response conditioning this we are conditioned by the stimuli response as long as we are in ignorance once the stimuli response conditioning uh, is gets deactivated when when through that viveka khyate i have gone beyond my ego and then this parinama krama samapti gunanam so these sutras you find various explanations in so many ways and it makes it sometimes it means nothing but actually it is something very simple it's speaking of why we don't understand because the language is now obsolete but at the same time you will find that the that even thousands of years back how wonderfully they understood the psychology whenever they spoke of speak of guna they're speaking of stimuli response conditioning these are the three gunas 
tamas getting converted into sattva, sattva getting converted into rajas. That's what's constantly happening in our life. And is there anything apart from that? In our scripture, they say the world is triguna maya. Nothing else is there. What is out there? I never know. How can I come to know? How do I know about the world? The moment my mind gets associated with the senses, the world immediately evolves. In one of the Tagore songs, very nice line is there. Tomar Amar Milan Hole Shakoli Pisho Shagor Dheu Khalae Uthe Takhon Jege. What a wonderful line. The entire creation, like waves, suddenly finds expression. When Tomayama, when there's a unification between you and me, there's a unification, me means this, my psychophysical existence along with the mind, you means the conscious principle beyond that. There's a song that's Shimar Majhe or Shim to me, it's a line from that song. These songs are so revelations. Shimar Majhe or Shim to me, Bajao Amun Shur. This is the Shima, this is something with the boundary, the psychophysical existence. The self is something Ashima. That Ashima is playing a wonderful tune by coming in association with the psychophysical existence. The moment it can dissociate, it falls off. Once you know that you are not in any way associated with it, just to enjoy. There's a way we enjoy the world of virtual reality. The way we move, we go uh, to watch a movie. We, we watch a movie just to enjoy. So here also when the realization dawns in, you know, this the ignorance was just for the enjoyment of the soul in the form of all these varied experiences. It's over. I am now Kritartha. At the end of the movie, I am fulfilled. The movie, now, once you have seen the movie, the movie is not going to uh, be of any more interest. You won't feel like watching it again and again. It's done. So the play of the virtual reality is over. So you have, the, its purpose is fulfilled. So then what happens? This stimuli response conditioning has lost its effect on you. It just simply falls off. So that's is being indicated by the time by the term parinama krama gunanam samapti. So now to in now to explain the word krama, the next sutra uh, just defines that what that krama which has been spoken of in this sutra is being defined in the next sutra. Kshana pratiyogi parinama aparanta nirgraya krama. That each and every moment, kshana, what is happening? Pratiyogi parinama aparanta. Nirgrahya kramaha. That each external stimuli out there in the external world is like a contender, is a pratiyogi. What's, what is doing? It, based on that, the mutation inside is happening, isn't it? The red flower is the pratiyogi. Aparanta, in the other end, in the mind, what is happening? That all the ideas which were dormant, dormant, this, uh, they get parinama, they are getting changed, they are getting mutated, they are getting transformed into that illumination, that flower. That is happening in the other end, in the mind. In one end, this external world, and in the other end, in the mind, that all the illumination is happening. So, it's corresponding dormant concepts in the mind results in vivid mental visualization. That's the aparantra nirgrahya. Nirgrahya means, grahya means to perceive. In the other end, the perception is happening. In one end, this external world is a suggestion. In other end, this perception is happening. The sequence in which it is happening has been indicated by the time term krama. So what is out there is never known actually. All our perceptions are informations. We say information, that the world is an information, actually it is an information because everything is forming within, information. Nothing, what is outside that I can never know. It comes and interacts with my mind and then I find they are all information, they are forming within to illumine the world. So what is out there is the pratiyogi, it is never known. And what is out there in one end is the uh, this grahya and the mind and what is perceived in mind in the other end is the aparanta. In the other end, this mind is the aparanta. So all the things which we perceive as a discrete unit, 
with distinctive attributes. These are the nirgraya, nishesha rupena graya, is happening on the other end, that is within the mind. So th- these are the two, and the sequence in which it is happening is the krama. So this constant stimuli and the corresponding information has been termed as the krama. There's a stimuli in one end and the, all the mental formations which are happening within, within the sequence in which it is happening is the krama. So now the last sutra, just as the one more sutra is remaining, I will take a little more time to conclude this sutra. The yoga sutra will be concluded with this sutra. It describes the state of kaivalya or liberation. What's the state of kaivalya? Purushartha shunyanam gunanam pratiprasava kaivalyam swarupa pratishthava chiti shakte iti. So the state of kaivalya can be defined in two ways. First is the dissolution of the demotivated gunas. As we saw that the gunas, the stimuli response conditioning got deactivated. As in the last, in the last two sutras, we saw, so we saw that the stimuli response conditioning got deactivated. The moment the ego has fallen off, the reality of the external world uh, uh, no more dawns in your mind you know that it's a delusion, it's a projection. So the gunas gets demotivated. So that's what is being indicated as the first. There's purushartha shunyanam gunanam pratiprasava. As they are no more motivated, they start pratiprasava, they start let go. This, the mind evolved by the collection of so many mental modules. They now start falling off. Prasava means to give birth. Mind was giving birth to newer, newer minds in the lower animals. The mind is something very, very primitive that through the, through the addition of so many mental modules, it is evolving. When you come to that realization, now all those metal star modules starts falling off. So opposite of prasava is prati prasava. So now they start falling off. It is involution. It was first, it was evolution. Now it is involution. It's falling off. So that's the first sign. And when all the mental modules falls off, then you know that there was no need for the crutch of the mind for asserting your existence. You exist by your own right. So that's being indicated as a second trait. Swarupa pratishtha va chiti shakti. You get established in your swarupa. And what is that swarupa? That's the consciousness, chiti shakti, chiti shakti, the consciousness. So we will end this discussion with one of the allegory of Sri Ramakrishna, that the moment you can recognize the maya, the ignorance, immediately it will remove its will and show you its real and sh- sh- reveal to you your real nature. So used to, Ramakrishna used to say a very nice story that a group of children were playing and they were all cousins, all the small kids in a joint family. They are all either siblings or cousins. They were all playing. And one elderly person just wanted to scare the child. So he just was, he just put on a bear skin and entered the room. And the children got terrified. They were, they were scared and they were all shouting. And one small girl somehow recognized it's their uncle who has actually bored that bare skin. So she shouted, oh, uncle, it's you. And now I understand. And now the uncle found that his purpose to scare others is of no evil because the child has recognized. So immediately the uncle removes the, this mask of the bare skin, removes. So the moment you recognize the Maya, you can say that I have recognized you, immediately it falls off, rendering you freedom. You, when the mask falls off, you can get established in your sarupa shakti, this pratishtha, that in your chitta shakti, and all the these gunas, like the mask, the gunas, they all fall off, rendering you kaivalya, the ultimate liberation. So with this, the Yoga Sutra is over. Uh, so for the time being, I think uh, uh, it's enough because this is the fourth time after coming to Australia that I am, uh, uh, they have taken up the study of the Yoga Sutra. So for the time being, 
uh, we will uh, uh, conclude the study of uh, Yoga Sutra maybe in future again if the uh, chance comes we will study but now uh, till the Navaratri the Thursday class we will uh, remain cancelled we will let you know we'll again not through notice after the Durga Puja we will start the study of the Mundaka Upanishad with that we will continue our Thursday class the scriptural study of the Mundaka Upanishad with this we stop our discussion today thank you all Namaskars <laughs>